Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu here tonight with... Ellen Dapa. And coming up over the next 90 minutes... Alexander Kwabna Safokantanka, farmer, circa September 2021, in the Ashanti region and within the jurisdiction of this court, endeavored directly to influence the conduct of Simone J, a member of the Drabi Municipal Assembly in the performance of his duty as a voter in respect of public elections conducted regarding your nomination by the president as the chief executive of the Drabi Municipal Assembly by gifting him valuable consideration of an amount of 5,000 Ghana CDs. Special Prosecutor brings over 20 charges against failed drabbing MCE nominee Alexander Safo Kantanka for allegedly engaging in corruption when he tried to win the votes of Assembly members to be President Akufado's representative in that municipality. Also coming up, Accra continues to flood as city authorities appear helpless in dealing with the recurring problem. And later on Eyewitness News. A public inquiry into the declassification of Hachimotan has and let the public know who got what, for what, and how much we need to, we need to appreciate that. As Sir John's will stirs more controversy over the sale or otherwise of the Achimota forest, we hear from the minority side in Parliament, which says it wants a public inquiry into the saga, essentially calling the bluff of the Akufado government. Stay with 97.3 CTF and for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... The Bank of Ghana urges development finance institutions across the continent to ramp up efforts in enhancing credit rating positions to attract more global investments. That's in 15 minutes with Netili Neti of the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations across the globe. We're on citynewsroom.com. The show, is, the show is interactive on WhatsApp and Telegram. The number to send your message to is 0549 Send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom Tweet and uh, World will hear what you think. We are live across Ghana on Beach FM 105.5 in Takrad in the Western region. We are on Bono region's Greener 95.9 in Sunyani. We are in the Ashanti regions, Focus 94.3 in Kumasi, as well as Orange FM 107.9. In the Volta region, we are on Revival 99.3 in Tajavu. In the Northern region, we are on Radio Bimbila 91.9 FM. In the Upper East region, we are live on Tanga 93.7 in Bolga, and in the Upper West region on Tunsung 97.3 FM in Wa. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And uh, President Akufado, by law, nominated certain persons to be municipal metropolitan and district chief executives but before these people could assume their offices they would need assembly members to vote for them now in one of such votes we saw a viral video in which a municipal chief executive nominee for jobbing was allegedly 
collecting back money he had used to bribe assembly members to vote for him. He was doing that in a very angry tone. The special prosecutor took judicial notice of same, and after months of investigations, he has been slapped with over 20 counts of the charge of corruption. Let's hear quickly, um, by way of reminder, what transpired at the, at the assembly hall in Jwabin, where the assembly members had met to vote to confirm or reject the gentleman in question, that is Alexander Safo Kantanka, after which defeat he decided to go man by man demanding his money. Let's listen. That's Alexander Safo Kantanka. He was nominated at, as MCE for Joabin in the Ashanti region. And uh, after an unsuccessful election at the assembly, you heard him there. And there's actually videos to see him where he's going assembly member to assembly member demanding that the money he paid them be returned. And like I said, the special prosecutor has well, commenced investigations. And today, we're told that this gentleman has been charged. Duke Mensah Opoku has been studying the charge sheet, joins me in studio. Duke, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Sander. So this is what the Republic versus... Um, Alexander Kwabnasa for Kantanka. So he has been charged. Over He's 20 charged. counts. 26 counts, actually. 26 counts. Yeah. Mainly corruption. Kumasi High Court Criminal Division. Um, charged essentially based on Section 2561 um, and 2 of the Criminal Offence Act, Act 29. And... Um, Section 9 of the Criminal Offences Amendment Act 2020 Act 1034. So mainly these are the sections of the criminal code that um, the gentleman in question, Alexander uh, Kwabnasa Fukantaka, has been charged with these um, 26 counts. So it's just the same portion of our law that is being used against him. Corruption. But corruption, different legs. corruption uh, in respect of a public election. But what makes it 26 is, is because... I mean, the various counts correlate with the number of people who were allegedly bribed or Induced. given 
valuable consideration in, to, in the words of um, the, the special prosecutor who drafted this mm-hmm. charge sheet. Valuable consideration. So, in respect of 18 of them, the charge, sheets, uh, the charge sheet says that they were gifted with a valuable consideration of 5,000 cities, and the rest were given a valuable consideration of 2,500 Ghana cities. So, so we can replace valuable consideration with suspected or alleged rob- uh, bribery. So he tried to bribe these people with 5,000 cities each yes. to vote for for him. Yes, I think he, he chooses his words carefully, decides to use contract language and says valuable consideration. Okay. But mm-hmm. it, if you look at, if you put that side by side with the offense of corruption, you may not be wrong if you indicate, if, you, if you say that it's, it, it may be yes. Read for us some of the persons who has been, have been yes. named so in Yes, so count one is in respect of Simone J, who is a member of the Juabe Municipal Assembly in the performance of his duty as a voter in respect of the public elections conducted regarding the nomination by the President of uh, the Republic as Chief Executive of the Jobi Municipal Assembly by gifting him valuable consideration of an amount of 5,000 cities. So this is count one. Count one relates to Simone J. Count two relates to Prince Oponchecheku, who is also a member of the Assembly. Now he got a gift of valuable consideration of 5,000 cities. Count three is in respect of Patrick Yabua Boati, and I don't know if this is in reference to the Yabua who was mentioned in the sound clip. Maybe, maybe, maybe it could be the Yabua who took the money and refused to and refused to vote for him, and who so, he'd use abusive words yes, on. Yeah, on. Yes, mm. and he also got five thousand CDs. Uh, that's the count three. Count four relates to Omaniam Boaje, who also took five thousand CDs or given a valuable consideration of, of five thousand CDs. Um, count five is in respect of Osei Tutu. 5,000 cities. Count 6, respect of Oforiche Redu, 5,000 Ghana cities. Count 7, Caleb Aduajiman, Aduajiman, and also oh, these are all members of the assembly, uh, 5,000 cities. Count 8, uh, Seth Ousu, 5,000 cities, also a member of the assembly. Emmanuel Gallo, a uh, member of the assembly, 5,000 cities, that's count 9. Count 10, is in respect of Clemente Jai, 5,000 cities, uh, valuable consideration. Uh, count 11, Samuel Entry upon a member of the Jabing Municipal Assembly. That's 5,000 cities. Count 12 um, is in respect of Joseph Asai. 5,000 cities. Count 13, Mary Stella Fusia, the first female appears. Uh, a man who's a member of the Jabing Municipal Assembly. 5,000 cities. Mary Abua, 5,000 cities. Uh, count 14. Count 15 is in respect of Ransford Osei. A member of the assembly, 5,000 cities. Count 16 is in respect of Emmanuel Laboni, 5,000 cities. Uh, that's count 16. Count 17 is in respect of Adombuache, uh, 5,000 cities, valuable consideration. Count 18 is in respect of Akwesie Jare Boateng, who received 5,000 cities. In res- uh, count 19, uh, this is where the amount changes. So, so 18 people were offered 5,000 5,000 cities. So, I mean, if you want to know how much went into the election, we can do the math. Times, eighteen times five thousand. Yes. So for those, the first, um, the first batch of eighteen people, everybody received per the charge sheet. I mean, filed that the that's ninety thousand cities. Cities, Kumasi High Court by the five thousand cities from Alexander Kwabna Safukantanka. Then the figure reduces. Then the figure reduces to two thousand five hundred. The first who are the people who got the two thousand? The first recipient of the two thousand five hundred cities is um, Abigail Amponsa. 2,500, count 19. Count 20, Dakum Boateng uh, received 2,500, also a member of the assembly. Count 21, Anthony Dakum Kofor, 
a member of the assembly, 2,500. Um, count 22, Richard Osu uh, count 23, Charles Kweku uh, 2,500. Count 24, uh, that is John Jakaboba. Interesting name, John Jakaboba, 2,500. Count 25, Bright Osu Dankwa, 2,500. And uh, Nanama Dankwa also received 2,500. That's the last count, count 26. So that 26 assembly, assembly members. members. We don't know what the total of the assembly members. Best in that, uh, maybe our uh, corresponding. We'll we be asking him that. Yeah, so all these people, we, but we also don't know whether they return the money. So we don't know whether, whether they're being they, used as prosecution well, witnesses or the also suspects. No, none of that. Because the receiver and giver of a bribe yeah, are both. But what the, what the um, charge sheet says, actually the facts that the, uh, the special prosecutor will be adducing in court, mm -hmm. indicates that the accused admitted gifting the indicated sums of money to their respective categories of members of the assembly to influence the outcome of the elections in his favor. After the investigations, the accused was duly charged with the offenses on the charge sheet. So, so he admitted? He admitted. That he was giving them this money? These monies to influence to the outcome of the election. That's according to the facts that will be adduced in court that has already been submitted as part of the charge sheet uh, to the Kumase High Court, the Criminal Division. Thank you, Dugmenson Opoku, there giving us uh, what will happen in the court. Let's go to the grounds. On election day, in fact, that video that you've seen was shot by a number of journalists who were covering the election, including our own Hafiz Tijani's cameraman. Hafiz saw everything happen. Uh, he was there when this man was so furious. Hafiz, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Sander. This was what, last year, right? Yeah, in 2021. 2021. He was very furious. Re re recall for us the events of that day, what had transpired. So after um, Alex Tafukantanka, popularly called in the area as Chairman Aluta, uh, was appointed by President Akufado or nominated to occupy the driving MCE uh, position, uh, a date was slated for the confirmation, and this date was September 29. So 26 assembly members, including the government appointees, converged at the venue to confirm or otherwise his nomination. So at the end of the um, voting or at the end of the exercise, he garnered six votes. That was the first time they were voting to either confirm him or not. Six out and of? 26. Okay. So uh, that, that was that was the first round. First round. Mm -hmm. So um, after uh, this exercise, um, the assembly members were also waiting, according to the law or per the laws, to see who the president was going to appoint again. Uh, so he was the same person who was appointed, and the second attempt uh, on 29th. Um, October 2021, uh, the second round of the voting came. But on that day, something happened. In the morning, uh, in the early hours of that day, some military personnel were patrolling within Jabin, and the assembly members got the wind of what was happening. The armored vehicles came and parked at the premises of the Jabin Municipal Assembly. So the assembly members called themselves and gathered at a place and were not happy about the security presence. And there was also police reinforcement to the place. So 
the assembly members alleged uh, intimidation because they could not confirm the president's nominee for the first time. The security were being brought in to intimidate them that time. So they boycotted the process and said they were not going to vote. So they held a press conference close to the, to the paramount chief for the Jabin traditional area, Nana Srebo, uh, drove to the venue and invited the assembly members to his palace. You recall uh, there was a picture in circulation that saw some of the assembly members kneeling down to uh, beg the Jabin for forgiveness for what they did for failing to uh, confirm the president's nominee for the area, even though there was an intervention by the regional minister leadership of the MPP at the national level, the traditional authorities within the area. But uh, they were still adamant and said they were not going to confirm him. Some of the assembly members individually had concerns about this nominee, and that brought up the reason for them not uh, confirming him. So that they passed. And another uh, um, appointment was done. And this time around, even before the confirmation of the uh, nominee, the president was around the area and he was not happy with the developments in the Jabin area and wanted the assembly members to rescind their decision and uh, vote for his nominee to confirm him. And so... Another date was uh, scheduled. That was 1st November 2021. And uh, the regional minister came in. It was a very long meeting on that day. Voting started after midday on that day. So the Ashanti regional minister had to uh, speak to the assembly members, pleaded with them on behalf of the nominee and said that whatever the nominee had done to each of the assembly members, they should find uh, forgiveness, they should forgive him and then let the past go. So he also asked, the regional minister himself asked the nominee to render an unqualified apology to the assembly members. So uh, a lot of people were thinking that following this intervention by the regional minister, and also the nominee himself rendering uh, um, apologies to the assembly members. Everything was going to settle on that day uh, until the 26 assembly members, including the government appointees. Uh, so we have uh, uh, um, 18 of them are elected and eight of them are government appointees. So 10 of them voted yes on that day and 15 no, meaning he could not still and obtain the two-thirds majority to be qualified as the uh, municipal chief executive for the area. So after he came down with the regional minister, the regional minister left, then he went back to the uh, hall, the auditorium, to demand some of the amounts he claimed he gave to some people prior to uh, this um, exercise and the residents in that area were also very um, angry. They threatened to even attack the assembly members, some of the assembly members. But the intervention of the police averted uh, some of these actions. So this was what transpired. Interesting. So he, according to the special prosecutor's charge sheet, he bribed twenty-six persons, and that's the total number of assembly members, right, for that assembly. Those who were supposed to do the election. 
Yes, including the government appointees. So and he, he pulled how many out of the twenty-six? So the first. No, the, the second, the second round, the day the money was given, that afternoon that the money was given, allegedly. Okay, so he got 10 votes. So yes, 10 people out of the 26 voted for him. Yes, and, and 15 voted no, and there was one rejected. I see. Now, do we know, based on all you've gathered, whether any of these people returned the money to him on that day when he was making the demand, or subsequently, because... Looking at the charge sheet, he's the only one who has been charged by the special prosecutor, which means then that the special prosecutor may most likely use the assembly members as witnesses, prosecution witnesses, uh, which means that they should have returned the money or they made a formal complaint. Do you know anything around that? Well, during this confrontation on that day, he confronted one of the assembly members and told him that this assembly member brought in an, an electorate from his area uh, who the assembly member said he was sick, so he needed money from the MCE, uh, sorry, the nominee, to be taken to uh, the central region for treatment. So he gave him some money, but the assembly member at that point also denied the claims and said that he only came to seek help from him, but that was not in relation uh, with the election. But most of the assembly members were of the view that because he was not able to be confirmed or because they didn't vote to confirm him, he was trying to reignite some of the uh, deeds, good deeds he has done to them and trying to tell them to repay or pay everything uh, they have uh, benefited from him. So these were the claims some of them were making, but most of them also uh, decline, usually decline media interviews on this matter when you contact them. But they've spoken off record. Do you know what their reactions to this um, latest information is? Well, for the assembly members, even one of them who has been mentioned in the uh, special prosecutor's statement, uh, charge sheet, uh, is saying that this is the law. They want the, the law to uh, deal with this matter so that uh, anyone who is either guilty or not can be vindicated at the end of the investigations by the special prosecutor. But they say that they are not anti-development because the Ashanti Regional Minister currently is acting as MC for the uh, Jabin Municipal Assembly, and they say that they are not getting the needed development within their electoral area. So uh, they would want that the president appoint someone while this case uh, uh, still pens. I see. So we do not have a nominee yet for the Assembly? No, that has not been mentioned uh, yet, but the Ashanti Regional Minister, Simon Osemensa, is acting. The, minister, the, the nominee himself, has he... Has he been around? Do we hear much about him of him since he since that in, on infamous incident? Well, I met him last week during the vetting of the um, Ashanti regional minister. Uh, sorry, the Ashanti regional aspirant of the New Patriotic Party at the regional coordinating council. Well, he's embedded uh, with the campaign team of the incumbent MPP regional chairman, Chairman Wuntumi, and he has been going round to the constituencies with him. During the vetting, he was there uh, to um, give him that support. So I saw him on that day. But he's not holding any party position currently, is he? Well, 
Um, she, she retained the constituency uh, chairman position when the vote was done. So he was elected recently to be the Jabin MPP constituency chairman? Yes. I see. And that was the position he held before his nomination. So he continues to hold that position. Very yes. well. Thank you so much, Hafiz Tijani, for uh, bringing us the background to this story and then actually giving us the fine details now. The issue is that if you're just joining us, uh, recall that uh, video that went viral where a man who was nominated to be municipal chief executive for Joabin uh, was uh, asking members of the assembly to return his money, which money he had given them to uh, induce them for votes, and he still lost anyway. So you see him in that video angrily uh, demanding for his money. His name is Alexander Safo Kantanka. Today, the special prosecutor has uh, brought some charges against him criminal case actually in the high court um, in Kumasi and uh, you've also heard Hafiz there give us a summary of events from that day and also the information that he's retained as a NPP constituency chairman for Joabin. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and when we come back we'll go to Sir John's Will which is uh, sparking more controversy and the directive by the Minister for Land that whatever land Sir John owned is now void and whether he has the capacity to make that declaration and under what law he is working as Minister for Lands. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News. Let's do some more stories. And the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abu-Jinapo, has directed the Lands and Forestry Commission to declare any ownership of the lands in the Achimota Forest and the Sakumono Ramsar sites as void. A statement from the Minister also said the beneficiaries will not have access to the lands in question if there is basis that the said lands were bequeathed. He noted that the lands in the said statement will remain public lands and that the government will act on any improper acquisition of any public lands. Here are excerpts of the press release by the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abdullah Jinapo. Preliminary inquiries reveal that the alleged will in question is a subject matter of litigation or contestation in the courts. Further checks are the lands and the forestry commissions. The repositories of the records of the lands in question show no record of ownership of lands at the Achimota Forest or the Sakumono Ramsar site by the late Kweju Ousefie. That said, given the totality of the circumstances of the said allegations, I, as Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, have directed the Lands and Forestry Commissions to deem any ownership of lands, both in the Achimota Forest and the Sakumono Ramsar site by the late Kweju Ousefie as void and are to take the appropriate actions accordingly. For the avoidance of doubt, the bequeathing of the aforesaid lands, if established, will not pass any interest or title to the named beneficiaries in the alleged will. These lands, the subject matter of the alleged will, shall remain public lands, whether or not it falls within the degazetted lands pursuant to EI-144. Government will act on any improper acquisition of any public lands, regardless of how it was procured 
whether now or in the past, and the Achimota forest lands will not be an exception. Meanwhile, the Lands and Natural Resources Ministry has indicated it may commission an independent audit of the specific acreage of the degazetted portions of the Achimota forest in the statement to give a background of what led to the returning of the land to the Owu family the ministry said the independent audit is in public interest the office of the attorney general prepared the executive instrument with the said revised shadows which was signed on 31st march 2022 and gazetted on 19th april 2022 as forests that is the cessation of forest reserve instrument 2022 ei144 it was based on the same validated schedule and site plan prepared by the lands commission with officials from the forestry commission that the forest achimota firewood plantation forest reserve amendment instrument 2022 EI-154 was prepared and gazetted. The ministry intends to initiate the process of an independent audit of the specific issue of the acreage degazetted and will act accordingly in the public interest should that become necessary. The Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources is committed to the protection, proper management and utilization of the lands and natural resources of our country government will act on any improper acquisition of public lands regardless of how it was procured whether now or in the past and the achimota lands will not be an exception the ministry wishes to reiterate that the achimota forest is an integral part of government's plan for the protection of our forest cover and our agenda for aggressive afforestation and reforestation as always, governments will continue to deal with the matters relating to the forest with the highest standards of transparency and integrity and act with the utmost good faith and in the public interest. You heard excerpts of a statement from the Lands and Natural Resources Ministry on a possible independent audit of specific acreage of degazetted portions of the Achimota Forest. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTF and Parliament resumed today and among the first things they talked about as minority side when they caught the attention of the speaker was to touch on this uh, controversy around the Achimota Forest. The mi minority leader Haruna Idrisu made a statement on behalf of the minority and made some specific demands of the president. One of the members from his side is the Tamale North MP, who is deputy ranking on the Forestry Committee of Parliament, Honorable Al-Hassan Suhini. You're welcome to Eyewitness News, sir. Apologies, we've lost Honorable uh, um, Suhini there. We'll try to re-establish contact with him. But let's get a summary of what the minority leader, Harun Idrisu, had said. There's also the news of declassification of anti-motor forest and land and public, public officers and politicians grabbing lands in the name of the Republic. Mr. Speaker, without any hesitation, this must be treated as an urgent matter. The President should open a public inquiry into the declassification of anti-motor lands and let the public know who got what, for what, and how much. We, 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 need, we, need to, we need to we need to appreciate that even the reliance the reliance on an executive instrument 144 the forest act of 1927 that's an outdated law let me remind the president and the leadership that if you go and look at the land use special special planning act of 2016 act 926 Rezoning and reclassification. The mandate was not given to the president. 
That's Haruna Idrisu, he's a minority leader. Let me go back to the phone and hopefully I can uh, speak to um, Alhassan Suhini now. Honorable, so you're what, calling the bluff of the government, which means that your hands are clean as a NDC side in relation to who owns the Achimota forest? For us as a party, thank you very much, first of all, Omar and I'm good evening to your listeners. As a party, we are convinced that the Achimota forest needs to be protected and preserved. And so we think that the back and forth from Honorable, uh, we, we are having a difficulty hearing you. Um, I'm not sure where you are. Can you try and make that point again? Yes, so the point I'm making is that as a party, we are uh, very convinced that the Achimota Forest, which is the only green belt left in Accra, needs to be protected and preserved. And we think that the back and forth from the ministry and government communicators are not making the matters any clearer. And so we believe that an independent, you know, presidential commission of inquiry that is made public uh, to be followed by the people of Ghana will be the best way to uh, raise all the issues that are necessary to be raised and dealt with, uh, uh, you know, according to law in a way uh, that we will all be rest assured that the government intends and is determined to protect the Achimota forest. Uh, so we are calling on His Excellency the President to, in uh, accordance with Article 272, I mean, 278 of the 1992 Constitution to immediately constitute a commission of inquiry into the matters. I mean, you cannot, you cannot fault the minister uh, at this stage for lack of effort. But it seems to me that all the efforts at, you know, addressing this issue are better than a Constitution. We're told that it is not... We keep losing you again. No, it's, it's it's still a very shaky line. Uh, apologies. Um, a very dodgy network that we have to the Honorable Al-Hassan Suhini. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Your messages have been coming through on our WhatsApp platform. Uh, let me read some for you. Zilis uh, Dwayne in London says, A special prosecutor can't bite with cases like this, but only bugs. Dutchbly from Jirapa in the Upper West Region says, very, very disgusting attitude displayed by the MCE nominee, but he got the guts because he knew the system is porous and toothless in bringing such acts to book. I hope this goes somewhere. Francis sends a message from who, and he says, the givers and receivers of bribes commit crimes. Well, in this case, the special prosecutor is not going after the receivers, and that's why we're saying that we don't know if they will be used as uh, I mean, suspects, they will be treated as uh, suspects or witnesses. Silvano sends a message from Sandema in the Upper East region, and he says, This is only happening in Africa. Our leaders beg to serve without integrity even before the race, uh, race gun is shot. They are soiled like a pig swimming in mud. Long live Mother Ghana. If you have a reaction to the stories you are bringing, the number to send your message to WhatsApp and Telegram is 0549-986-996. Let's return, uh, return to the phone lines. Uh, I don't know if the lines in Tele Tamale North are that bad or where exactly are you that we are having a difficulty, but let's hope we can conclude with the conversation. Now, 
why are you asking for an inquiry considering that you're actually the ones who opened the pandora's box when you first decided through your minister for lands under mahama government to revert lands to the owu family which owu family were at liberty now to sell any portion or lease any portion to anybody who agrees to develop it in in line with what was approved by the forestry commission so you allowed for people to procure the land and you are now asking for an inquiry first of all it is not a wrong assertion but it is an unfair one it is unfair because this whole transaction began under president kufour and not under uh, president Mohammed. and president kufour is not a member of the ndc and his government was not an ndc government and it is unfair also because the ministry in its releases in the past have clearly stated this fact, that this whole transaction between government and the whole family began under an MPP government headed by President Kofor. So it is not correct that the NDC opened the Pandora's box by starting you know, this whole you know, transaction. In fact, what the NDC sought to do, and it has been explained a countless number of times, was to, uh, on humanitarian grounds, because the government, the government is continuing, and if government made a mistake uh, under President Kofor, and the success, the succeeding government thought that there was a way to correct it without disadvantaging the family that was involved, uh, it was well and good. In my view, perhaps the right thing would have been not to continue with what President Kofor did. But in the wisdom of those who were in charge at the time, they thought on humanitarian grounds they should have continued with what President Kofor started. But that aside, our call today uh, is that the president must act through Article 278 you know, of the 1992 Constitution by establishing you know, a commission of inquiry into this matter. First of all, because even the EI that the president has used to reclassify the Atimota Forest it's premised on a wrong law, an archaic one, a law that has been appealed, you know, uh, by the Land Use and Special, uh, I mean, the Land Use and Special Planning Act 2016. And so that in itself means that the EI as gazetted is null and void because it is premised on a wrong law, a law that it does not exist. And so we need to, first of all, find out what informed the president to reclassify a forest such as the Atimota Forest, on a wrong law. Then secondly, we need to again establish the fact, uh, or otherwise, of the uh, 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 status of the Atimota Forest, especially the 361 acres in question. Has it been sold or not? Because the government in its first outing, and let me say this, you cannot you know, fault the minister for lack of effort. But his awful effort doesn't seem to clear, clarify the matter uh, any, any, any better. And so we think that the Commission of Inquiry will determine for us all uh, whether the, the 361 acres in question has already been sold, uh, a sale which has led to even some equating it you know, to their nephews in their will, as, as, as we have uh, been uh, uh, informed uh, recently. So the Commission of Inquiry will look into all of these and put the matters beyond any doubt. Again, we would want to know what you know went into the allocation of 361 acres when previous government allocated less, and what even informed previous government decision to allocate the match that they allocated. Again, we want to find out, uh, 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 you know, 
like I indicated initially, the, 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 the right way to preserve the forest, because at the end of the day, the focus of all of us should be how to preserve the only, you know, uh, green belt in the city of Accra to continue to serve as the, you know, carbon sink that it has served uh, in, 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 in the city over the years. And you and I have been discussing floods lately, and I dare say that but for the Achimota Forest, the situation today would have been worse. And that is why the focus must be, at the end of the day, you know, after all this back and forth, the position of all of us, including government, must be how to preserve the Achimota Forest from being turned into a concrete jungle. But it doesn't absorb you in any way because you have just, of course, in, and it's a, an open fact that you actually began this whole process. And I'm saying that how... Do you begin a process which process is concluded by another government because government is a continuum? And now you pretend to be saints and then rather calling for the preservation of the Achimota forest. When you in the beginning watched for the forest to be encroached and decided to hand over the encroached part, instead of protecting the forest in its entirety, you decided to hive out a portion and give to the people who are the original owners. And that is what you may have, they may have added, the acreage. But you began the process. That's what I want to understand from you. To explain why a process you started has been concluded and you have a difficulty with that. Sanda, again, I push back and I do so strongly when you suggest that we started the process. Because the government of President Nana Akufuado and his Minister of Lands and Natural Resources, throughout their communication, have indicated which government started it. Yes, it was a Kufour government, and the Mills government continued. And Muhammad, so, so yes, so I'm just looking at. But the closest to those who started it would be the Mills government, which is an NDC government. And we are told that a Kufour, John Kufour's um, discussion started in 2007. So that's just a year. Just give me a second. 2007. One second. Let me let me establish from here. You can counter-establish if you so wish. John Kufour's government started it in 2007 based on a petition brought to it by the Owu family. That's the history we've been told by the lawyer to the Owu family itself. That, that's what the lawyer to the Owu family told me. One second. Kufour left government a year afterwards. You had eight years, and within that eight years, you thought that the proposal that was brought to the Kufour government was a smart one, and you continued with same. You gave a portion of the land to the family. You put pen to paper. And I'm saying that the Akufado government then comes and continues in similar fashion. So you should take a larger blame because Kufo's government was just one year into the office. When you came, there were things Kufo started that you reversed. You never reversed this one. You enhanced it further, even though we are told that you reduced the acreage that was agreed with the Kufo government. So how holy are you uh, coming here to equity? Oh, my God, we've lost him again. Uh, we'll try to get him to answer that last question, and then we'll move on to some other discussion. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Uh, when we come back, there's a petition that has been sent to Shraj on this matter by a number of petitioners um, under the umbrella Civic Response and Undersigned Civil Society Organization, CSOs. I'll be uh, reading portions of that petition for you. Hopefully, also get Alhazen Suini back on the line. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. 
Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra, Accra, beg your pardon. Let's return to the Achimota Forest issue. Let me just conclude there with uh, Honorable Suhini, so we we'll bring you that petition to charge. Honorable Suhini, I don't know if you got my question. You can please go ahead and answer. I did, I did, and um, let me just let me just uh, paraphrase you. At least we now have come to a common understanding that this whole you know Pandora's box was opened by President Kufuor and NPP government. We also agree, you and I agree, that it, con it was continued by the NDP government. So we didn't open the Pandora's box. We didn't start it. Now you make the, the, the fantastic point that NDC had eight years and there were things that President Kufuor started that the NDP changed. The President Nana Kufuor government is into its seventh year and even the University of Ghana Medical School, Ghanaians had to demonstrate before it was opened partially. So they had every opportunity to have also done away with this. And if they have continued with it, and we all are coming to an understanding that the approach that they are using is wrong, then it is the reason why we are calling for a commission of inquiry so that Ghanaians from all walks of life can contribute and follow the inquiry. That will, in the end, recommend you know, the appropriate way of preserving the forest. So our call is entirely in sync with our character and attitude as a party that always, you know, will call for transparency and probity. I am very sorry about that. Unfortunately, we can't continue this conversation. The telephone network seems not to be allowing this conversation to continue. You are listening there to Alhassan Suhini, Tamale North Member of Parliament, Deputy Ranking on the lands and uh, forestry committee of parliament there's a petition to the minister for lands and natural resources to the chief executive of the forestry commission and the executive secretary of the lands commission from the petitioners known as civic response and unders unders okay this should be undesigned civil society organizations cso's petitioners claim Alleged conflict of interest by state officials in the acquisition lands at the Achimota Forest and Sakumono Ramsar site. Forum, Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice. That's where they sent the uh, information to, specifically to Joseph Witao, the commissioner. Reasons for choice of forum. It says constitutional body mandated to investigate alleged allegation of conflict of interest by public officers in the performance of functions of the office by Article 285. 284 of the 1992 Constitution. Details of petition. Introduction has been given. It says the issue of de-gazetting a portion of the legally protected Achimota Forest Reserve through the promulgation of Executive Instrument 144, which took effect on 1st May 2022, has caused a media storm and absolute public outrage. This shows that the de-gazetting alone is clearly a matter of great public interest and concern to the good people of Ghana. However, the issues have deepened to become a matter, we believe, for investigation by the Commission for Human Rights and Administrative Justice. Facts. The Minister for Lands and Natural Resources announcement of the de-gazetting of parts of the Achimota Forest was followed with a media expose of the will of Mr. Kojo Usui Frie Sir John, the former Chief Executive of Forestry Commission, where he apparently gifted lands he claimed to own in the Achimota Forest and at the legally protected Sakumono Ramsar site. The petitioner's case. 1. It is the case of the petitioners that Sir John's apparent ownership of those lands while holding to 
uh, holding the post as the chief executive of the Forestry Commission among to conflict amounts to conflict of interest and steps should be taken to return those assets required or acquired to the state. Two, we are very concerned that the, alle the alleged acquisition of state land by state officials and the related conflicts of interest and possible collusion with other state officials run very deep and that public offices required by Ghana's constitution to declare their assets have not done so. The trust of the public is waning rapidly and we deserve to know the truth. Three, that any allocation of portions of the Achimota forest lands to public offices or companies of which they are shareholders or the beneficial owners since 2007 amounts to conflict of interest and all such leases, assignments or however the interest or rights should be cancelled and returned to the state. The prayer says, in respect of these concerns, we are petitioning Shraj on behalf of the undersigned, okay, so the thing was supposed to be undersigned, civil society organizations and the good citizens of Ghana to investigate the matters surrounding the Achimota forest, the degazetting of some portions, and the people who purportedly now own or have leased or subleased portions of the forest, either personally or through a business. Any conflict of interest must also be exposed. The petitioners pray Shraj to investigate both the substantive and procedural flaws in the allocation of the lands in the Achimota forest and Sakumono Ramsar sites and reverse all such transactions where the conflict of interest involving public offices, their signs, hirelings and related companies. Conclusion, our other major concern is that Ghana's forest reserves should be protected in perpetuity for the purposes for which they were gazetted loss of any amount of forest reserve or other protected area no matter how small should never be allowed the degazetting of some of the achimota forest sets a very bad precedent for ghana's other protected areas the reversal of these transactions on the basis of conflict of interest will send a strong message to other public officers who might be tempted in future to use their position to grab state property kindly contact and the name has been given there uh, the person who signed it. Now, there are a number of people who signed, uh, groups actually. So, Civic Response is there, Arocha Ghana, Nature and Development Foundation, EcoCare Ghana, Veridis Environmental Consult, Casa Initiative Ghana, Ghana Wildlife Society, Advocates for Biodiversity Conservation, Forest Watch Ghana, 350 Ghana Reducing Our Carbon, United Force for Development, Rights Advocacy Initiative Network, Trump. Chopping Boats Ghana and KCODEK. I should believe that should be K Kodek. So these are the signatories to this particular petition addressed to the Commission for Human Rights and Administrative Justice on the Achimota Land Saga. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. It rained last night and this dawn. And as you would anticipate, there was flooding in Accra. Ellen, please share the story with us. All right, Sander, the Greater Accra Regional Minister Henry Korte has highlighted the need for structures on waterways in the capital to be pulled down for free flow of water whenever it rains. During a tour of some communities in the region after Tuesday's downpour, Henry Korte assured of an engagement with the relevant stakeholders to institute measures to address the perennial flooding of the city. He also paid a visit to a young man who had his 25-year-old wife electrocuted to death at Alajo on Saturday. Saturday following the heavy rainfall. I know the Western Housing Minister has been round. Um, I need not comment further. I will have a meeting with him 
to see what plans they have and then we can take it from there. But he suggested that authorized structures on waterways should be pulled down by some of the assemblies uh, who are witnessing these flooding in most parts of Accra. What do you make of this? We are going back to the same thing that I started and people said that we are being insensitive to the people. I mean, I remember Amnesty International spoke that hey, uh, we don't have the authority to do that. But do we have the authority as a result of one person's negligence to affect lives and properties? That is where the issue is. So if we can deal with one or two buildings sitting on a waterway to spare the lives of many, which of them would, would we prefer? So I'm glad that this topic is coming from the media. We will need your support. So we create the uh, awareness, the sensitization that we need, and for them to also understand that it is not as if we have anything against them, but indeed it is for the well-being, welfare, and security of the larger group. So yes, I've heard you. We are speaking to the MMDCs. It is not that easy around this time, rainy season, to go demolishing people's structures. We are human beings. We have to also balance it. So we'll look at measures to put in place to balance the two. If not, you are going to render a lot of people homeless by just going there to demolish things. So not is here. We have to look at how to balance it. Where it is necessary for us to do so, well, we have no choice, but we'll do that. Henry Korte is the Greater Accra Regional Minister. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. The Bank of Ghana is urging development finance institutions across Africa to ramp up efforts in enhancing credit rating positions to attract more global investment. Access to global debt capital and loan markets continues to remain a problem, hence the call by the central bank for these financial institutions to implement policies that will attract investments on more favorable terms. Head of Banking Supervision at the Bank of Ghana, Osei Jesse, was speaking at the 2022 Annual General Assembly of the Association of African Development Finance Institutions. African DFI should work as enhancing credit rating positions. In spite of the large numbers of African DFIs, access to global debt, capital, and low markets continue to be dominated by few lending multilateral African regional DFIs, largely due to innovations in credit enhancement enhancement and restructuring. It is imperative, therefore, for DFIs to implement policies that will enhance their rating in order to attract more global investments on more favorable terms, including longer tenors and lower interest rates. Furthermore, African DFIs need to create a pool of bankable projects to attract private capital. The issue of bankability of development projects has long been a topic of discussion by the development finance and investor community, and is one of the key bottlenecks in attracting private capital to close the wide infrastructure gap. The onus is, therefore, on African DFIs to de-risk development projects and make them attractive for investors. Osei JC is the head of banking supervision at the Bank of Ghana. 
Finance Minister Ken Furiata is urging the African Development Bank, AFDB, to be innovative in its operations to mobilize resources and leverage the African Development Fund's balance sheet to raise additional capital for Africa's development. According to him, the bank must put in place measures to ensure that no financial institution has a deeper foothold on the continent other than the African Development Bank. The Finance Minister was speaking at the opening ceremony of the 2022 annual meetings of the AFDB in Accra. In designing our continent's response strategy, we must build from our innate resilience and strengthen partnership. Africa Development Bank's focus here must therefore be guided by advancing progress across a number of pillars, digitalize our society, realize the potential of raising innovative climate financing, explore possibilities to scale up social protection programs, bring greater transparency to the methodologies of rating agencies, make progress on SDR rechanneling and use the AFDB as a conduit for deploying SDRs on the continent and leverage the ADF's balance sheet to raise additional capital for the continent. We must ready remedy a situation where any financial institution, including the Bretton Woods, has a deeper foothold on our continent than our own Africa Development Bank. Given the current local and global dynamics, it has become imperative that we vigorously mobilize resources through innovative means, including from the digital space. You must simply uncover this potential to recover and build forward better. That was the Finance Minister, Kenu Furiata. Cement manufacturers in the country want government to reduce the number of taxes and levies imposed on their operations. According to some stakeholders, the increasing number of taxes and levies imposed on them is putting a strain on them and therefore taking a toll on their businesses. Speaking to the media on the sidelines of the 2021 Customer Appreciation Night, Chief, Chief Marketing Officer at Diamond Cement, Bridget Singh, noted that these taxes and levies coupled with increased proposed electricity tariffs will make them uncompetitive and expensive. As uh, most of uh, our media persons were already there, in the event, I've already told, last year was the best performing year for diamond cement in Ghana. We have done the ever highest sales in Ghana last year. In general, we can say it has an adverse impact in the market in terms of pricing, which, which affects the customer and consumers of our company as well. For, for the current situation in the last two, three months, definitely there's some impact on the, uh, on the revenue part and the market. So we are trying to cope up with that with the different initiatives that we are planning in the markets. And we are hopeful that we'll do good in this year as well. As far as production is constrained, the production cost is going up. So eventually, we also end up to increase the price for the market. And that is what impacting the sales negatively. I'm hopeful that very soon, the government measures will help us to come back to normalization and we'll do good in the markets too. Bridget Singh is the Chief Marketing Officer at Diamond Cement. For petroleum users to fully appreciate the cost build-up of fuel they buy and reason for the constant hike in prices, they ought to have adequate information. The National Petroleum Commission, in light of this, has organized a training session for about 300 individuals pulled from various driver unions across the country. CEO of the commission, Dr. Mustafa Hamid, is confident this will help allay all misconceptions on the price of fuel in the country. So first of all, you will have to understand why the price of petroleum products or the prices of petroleum products change every two weeks, first of all. It's important. 
And when you have understood that, it's also important to understand why if it was 10 CDs last week, this week it has become 10 CDs and 10 pesos, or 10 CDs and 20 pesos. I'm sure many of you have heard a word called deregulation. What is deregulation? As somebody will ask in Chi, deregulation, a abwa what type of abwa it is or whatever it is, it's important that as a driver you know, you are informed. Because, as the Bible says, for lack of knowledge, my people perish. And when I talk about perishing, I don't literally even mean um, death or extinction. The banter, the arguments that you have with um, people who take, who commute by your, your transport. That was the CEO of the National Petroleum Commission, Dr. Mustafa Hamid. Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, has revealed that Ghanaians are likely to experience heightened inflation rates for the rest of the year. The national inflation rate as at April this year stood at 23.6%, almost tripled the central bank's 2022 target of 8%. So when should you expect Ghana's inflation rate to drop to within the medium-term target band of 8 plus or minus 2%? The following report tells us more. Exactly a year ago, that is May 2021, the national inflation rate stood at 7.5%. This rate was the lowest recorded in about a decade. Since that record low, inflation has recorded a consistent rise for 11 straight months, climbing all the way to 23.6% in April 2022. Between March and April 2022 alone, inflation jumped by over 4 percentage points. Responding to a question by City Business News on whether or not inflation has peaked, Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, stated that even though inflationary pressures persist, he expects the rate of increases to taper off. We do not expect to see another jump in the headline inflation rate, similar to what we had seen in April. Yes, we are very much aware of what is in the horizon regarding utility prices and transportation prices and all that. But I don't think even that will justify the kind of jump that we have seen. So when should Ghanaians expect to see the inflation rate in single digits like they enjoyed in the early part of 2021? According to the governor, we will have to wait till 2023 to see the rates drop to within the medium-term target band of 8 plus or minus 2%. If you look at our inflation forecast profile, we expect that inflation would get back into our target zone sometime in 2023. It means that you would still see heightened inflation rates between now and then. Pressures would probably only fade out gradually. And it, it, it is a difficult time for all of us. Uh, inflation is, is a canker it affects the poorest most. The poorest households are the ones who feel it. Uh, most. And this is why the MPC had taken the decision to decisively do all that we can using the tools that are at our disposal to bring it down as quickly as possible. That was the Governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, ending that report by Bobby Osei. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Natalie Nete. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. It's 23 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Prime, Prime Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Prime Blank, President Akufado today kicked off the annual general meeting of the Africa Development Bank, AFDB, in Accra with a call of um, colleague African leaders to do more to resource the bank to help drive Africa's development. The president says with a strong financial security, the continent can reduce its dependence on aid from the Western world. Let's listen to the president. I believe that the choice of Ghana to host the meetings has everything to do with the special place she holds as a beacon of stable democratic governance in Africa, as well as the proverbial warm hospitality of the Ghanaian people. Indeed, these meetings, being held at a critical period in history, when Africa, like the rest of the world, is dealing with the twin effects of COVID-19 and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, could not find a better venue than our vibrant capital city of Accra. I congratulate the African Development Fund, ADF, the concessional lending arm of the African Development Bank, on the celebration of its Golden Jubilee to invest some $9 million United States dollars over the last five years, up from an initial $327 million in 1976, is nothing short of exemplary. Congratulations are very much in order. Permit me also to commend the President of the African Development Bank Group, Dr. Kimomi Adesina, for his extraordinary vision, passion, and leadership. The African Development Bank is now a globally reputable bank, maintaining, even in difficult times, its stellar AAA ratings, the only African institu financial institution with AAA global credit ratings. The African Development Bank was ranked by the prestigious Global Finance Magazine as the best multilateral financial institution in the world in 2021. It is equally impressive 
that the African Development Fund was also ranked by the Center for Global Development in the U.S. as the second best in the world amongst all concessional finance institutions, even ahead of the World's Bank IDA and all the developed countries' 28 concessional financing institutions of the OECD countries. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the second consecutive year I'm addressing the bank's annual meetings. I had the honor of doing so last year, albeit virtually. Our meetings today, which are being held in person here in Accra, represent a great relief. Following two years of unprecedented disruptions caused by COVID-19. In my address last year, I challenged us to prioritize five main issues. One, work towards the debt action plan. Two, collaborate and work with the World Bank and the IMF on the debt service suspension initiative and the G20 common framework. Three, explore options for the strategic use of the Special Drawing Rights SDRs to support Africa through the AFDB. Four, work with IFAD and other global institutions to promote the establishment of food security facility. And five, promote the African Financial Stability Mechanism for greater financial market stability for Africa. As we speak, the case for adhering immediately to these suggestions is even more compelling. We're now confronted with the consequences of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which are compounding the emerging socioeconomic vulnerabilities which have been heightened by COVID-19. Since February, prices of stable food commodities have surged dramatically. Africa faces the fertilizer shortage of some 2 million metric tons this year, estimated at 2 billion United States dollars, according to the International Fund for Agricultural Development, IFAD, potentially creating a productivity deficit of some 20 to 50 percent in agriculture. Rising food prices disproportionately affect African famines as food consumes some 40% of household incomes, compared to less than 20% in the advanced economies. Energy markets have been significantly volatile, with dire consequences for households and public finances. According to the IMF, a $5 per barrel increase in oil prices reduces global output by around 0.25%. But for non-oil exporting economies in Africa, that figure increases to 0.6%. As a result, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development has cut global growth prospects by 1%. And the World Economic Outlook, April 2022, predicts global growth will slow from 6.1% in 2021 to 3.6% in 2022, 0.8 percentage points lower than projected in January 2022. 
Amidst economic slowdown and rising cost of fuel and food, the cost of living is increasing. The immediate economic consequences, whether in the form of rising inflation, lower growth, increased inequality, and greater financial inst instability, are likely to permeate deeper as they coincide with weakened economic positions due to the pandemic and pre-existing and now elevated debt challenges. The debt challenges are compounding for us in Africa. In pursuit of policy auto autonomy in the age of choice for economic transformation, our debt profile has changed markedly. According to UNECA, the debt-to-GDP ratio rose from 60 to 70.1% between 2019 and 2020, largely because of the COVID pandemic. 18 African economies have faced credit downgrades, even when all economies were suffering from fallouts from the pandemic last year. Amidst these challenges, we must be aware of our vulnerability to the monetary policy stance of the U.S. Federal Reserve and the risk of so-called taper tantrums as investors may exit our markets, further exacerbating the increasing cost of borrowing. At this moment, support for non-IMF program countries to alleviate the debt burden is limited. The initial facility designed to offer respite to economies with elevated debt challenges, the Debt Service Suspension Initiative, DSSI, has expired since December 2021. Beyond the DSSI, the G20 Common Framework promised a comprehensive solution to the debt issue. To date, the few countries that took on the associated risk by applying have yet to receive the much-needed relief. We look forward to how the Resilience and Sustainability Trust, RST, which requires that countries be in an IMF program, will effectively serve the needs of our countries. In these trying times, the IMF 650 billion special drawing rights, approved in August 2021, was meant to be of significant relief. However, based on the allocation principles, economies on this continent got some 33 billion United States dollars, about 5%. Moreover, the promise to reallocate some 100 billion United States dollars of the SDR allocations to our economies, which was agreed to at the Paris summit in 2019, has so far yielded about 36 billion United States dollars in pledges as of April 2022. The strategic decision to make the AFDB the delivery vehicle for these SDRs must be pursued and achieved. <laughs> Leveraging the SDRs four times as AFDB does will significantly boost resources for Africa's transformation. Ladies and gentlemen, the combined effects of the debt situation 
rising interest rates and rising cost of living are resulting in severe macroeconomic and financial instability. What is clear is that the resulting damage cannot be killed so easily with the limited fiscal tools at our disposal and national policy adjustments. Therefore, I reiterate my call for an elevated role for Africa's premier bank, the AFDB. Ola, this time, I respectfully ask for a sense of urgency due to our mutual enlightened awareness. As a triple-A-rated financial institution with an active portfolio of some 61 billion United States dollars in more than 142,000 locations, the AFDB is in the position to drive sustained transformation in Africa. It is in this spirit that I'm happy to learn that the AFDB board has approved funding for the 1.5 billion Africa Emergency Food Production Plan to support countries to produce food rapidly while delivering climate resilient agricultural technologies to 20 million farmers and thus leveraging this facility over eight times. I'm also encouraged to hear the right noises are being made towards establishing an African financial stability mechanism to protect our economies from future shocks. The irony that we have a history riddled with economic shocks, but are the only continent in the world without financial burden, but buffers has to be urgently remedied. I'm persuaded that the African financial stability mechanism will provide such protective cover for our economies, thus enabling us to counter effects of future pandemics, amongst others. The confluence of rising challenges and expectations require that together we act with sustained conviction. Our support will be critical to building the Africa we want as espoused by AU Agenda 2063 from today. In addition to the pressing food, fuel, and fiscal challenges, we still have to ensure that, one, the remaining 85% of the continent's population are vaccinated against COVID-19. Two, the remaining 60% of health facilities on the continent are connected to a reliable source of electricity. Three, the teeming youth who are over 60% of our population are better educated and equipped for the job market, i.e. to become a digitally enabled entrepreneurial generation. Four, the African continental free trade area transforms Africa with a combined GDP of 3.3 trillion United States dollars. Five, the fiscal and digital infrastructural deficits are addressed. And six, the unrelenting insecurity and violence creating about 2.5 million internally displaced people in the Sahel and elsewhere are permanently addressed. The stakes could not be higher and clearer. To, 
to move towards resolving these, we must support the bank to do what a bank does, to mobilize and invest funds. We must activate a process that moves this bank from the corridors of billions to trillions, given the scale of the challenges on this continent. <laughs> Ultimately, the AFDB must become the dominant financial financing institution for African transformation in the medium term. This means we must bridge and overhaul the financing gap that exists with other complementary institutions. For instance, the financing gap between the IDA, the concessionary arm of the World Bank in Africa, and ADF now stands at almost fivefold. That is 15 billion United States got dollars compared to the ADF's 3 billion United States dollars per year. It is now time to A, ease the regulations that shackles the bank from optimizing its resources, amending the articles that precludes the ADF from entering the market to leverage its resources must be first order priority. In July last year, the idea of World Bank, the equivalent of ADF, prized a 10-year sustainable development bond that raised 2 billion euros. Subsequently, IDA's funding program expanded from US 5 billion United States dollars in 2020 to 10 billion United States dollars in 2021. Such is the demonstrated power of the market beckoning the ADF. With an ADF equity of 26 billion United States dollars, the prospects could be an additional 8 to 10 billion United States dollars, which could drive sustained transformation, especially for both fragile and states in transition on this continent. B, consider carefully consolidating the balance sheets of both the ADB and ADF to enable to raise more resources. There are financial efficiency, policy, and administrative gains inherent to having a single entity with a consolidated balance sheet and harmonized fundraising and governance processes. Overlapping clients, and majority of our countries requiring concessional access would enable this consolidation to be beneficial. C, sustain efforts to leverage private investments into Africa. The OECD suggests that the 2.5 trillion United States dollars financing gap for the SGDs could balloon to 4.2 trillion United States dollars. It points out that this gap could be filled by realigning just 1.1% of the 379 trillion United States dollars in global financial assets under management. AFDB must lead in crowding in these resources. Indeed, demonstrate foremost interest 
in the proposal by the AU to explore the issuance of security indexed investment bonds to raise funds to address the root causes of increasing insecurity and poverty. With increased financial resources, the bank could recapitalize key financial African financial institutions such as the Regional Development Banks, Afri-Exim Bank, Africa Guarantee Fund, Africa Reinsurance Company, and Africa 50. This will harness the collective institutional strengths of Africa for sustained transformation and will thus avoid the situation whereby, for example, the IMF, as of the end of 2021, was able to lend 41 billion United States dollars to Argentina with a population of 45 million people, compared to 34 billion United States dollars for the whole of Sub-Saharan Africa with a population of 1.14 billion people. Empowering these African institutions and engaging communities will be vital to addressing the socio-ecological challenge of our time, climate change. Beyond pursuing ecological restoration, the AFDB should foster a culture of proactive and risk-based approaches, away from current reactive and crisis-based practices. This should involve effective coordination, communication, and cooperation driven by adequate finance and political will. And as the AU champion for financial institutions in Africa, I pledge my support in this regard. Given our peculiar energy challenges, the bank should engage actively the discourse on shifting to a more sustainable economic model without making African communities and nations worse off. The cost of climate to our common humanity keeps increasing. With our continent bearing a disproportionate burden, though we have caused the least emissions of 3.8%, with the Western nations being responsible for 76%. Yet, only 6 billion United States dollars out of the worldwide total of 30 billion United States dollars of climate adaptation finance flows to Africa, even though the United Nations Environment Program has projected that between 75 million and 250 million people would be affected by climate-induced water stress. Not to mention, financing COP26 compliance could potentially strand Africa's natural resources, including natural gas. How do we develop under such unfair circumstances? So that was President Nanadu Dankwakufado speaking at the meeting of African Development Bank. That's AFDB, the general meeting that is, which is currently ongoing in Accra. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sandamadu. Production by Sixtus John Ulo and Beverly London. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night.
City News, we speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.